How do you live your life like tomorrow matters? Perhaps you're already growing food, consuming less, connecting with your community. Perhaps you're already thinking hard, keen to see the world a little slower, greener, healthier. But where to begin? Here on the Future Studying Podcast, we dig deep into the hearts and minds of blissfully normal people doing bloody amazing things, unearthing their moments of contradiction, their hopes and fears for the future, and what galvanises them to action, in the name of inspiring all of us to do a little more in shaping a better future today. I'm Katie. And I'm Jade. And this is Future Studying. Righto. Well, nature kids. So people ask me all the time how we, you know, there's this whole movement around rewilding and re-earthing and unschooling and, you know, getting your daily hit of biophilia. And that's just for adults. But I think there's sort of this extra push or this extra incentive, and you can probably answer this better, if you've got the ability to somehow get your kids into that natural environment where they can can be playing on things that aren't exactly the same Pantone colour between steps <laughs> and that aren't exactly 44.4 millimetres apart. And, you know, so that they're playing on things that go uphill and down dale and that, that are inconsistent and that are different in their colour and different in their texture and different in their smell. It's all those kind of sensory stimulants that that people are wanting their kids to experience. And it's exciting. I'm really excited that that's where people have got back to and um, that there's a really strong movement around it. And so people ask me all the time, what are some of the things that we can do? Yes. I'm interested as a spectator and kid ambivalent person, and maybe I'll just put myself in the camp of big kid. And so if I were a big oversized kid, what kind of things yeah, well, you could, could do I be all doing? Of these things. Yeah, and you yeah. did. I remember when you were living with us, we were doing bonfires and bushwalks and you know, nature walks, and they're good. They're great fun to do for all kids, big and little. Um, Absolutely. And I think the thing with them is they don't cost money, they don't take a lot of time, you don't have to have particular things for them. You're certainly not buying into anybody else's money-making regime. And the kids love it. You know, they probably fight you for the first 10 minutes when you tell them that we're not going to a play centre or a, you know, a gym or a particular uh, zone, like a play zone or any of those sorts of dedicated kids' spaces, which make my eyes bleed and my head hurt. Um, So so I thought I'd start by actually there's a couple of really good books on this too, and one of the best books that I've found for it is one that's recently been released. It's called Your Wild Imagination. It's been pulled together by Brooke Davis, and it's it's only a little book, but um, it's it's beautiful. They've done a beautiful job of pulling it together and it's a great place to kickstart how you want to interact with the natural world around you with your little people. So uh, we do lots of little things and they can be really basic things like your seed saving. You know, little kids' dexterous fingers are ideal for pulling out the beans from the dried bean pods and putting them into a jar and that's easier for them to do than it is for us but actually it's a lovely activity for all of you to sit around and do together nice um and and food harvesting like i i'm grown up and i've been doing this nearly every year of my life but pulling potatoes out of the ground is truly like the best treasure hunt you can ever come across and and that's for big kids yeah, fully, all little gold nuggets. Mm. 
So that's that's kind of it sort of speaks for itself. And I know when I tell the kids to go down and pick the tomatoes because I know there's a heap there, they come back with this measly little handful of them and I say, Well where where where's the rest of them? Did you lose interest? Did you get bored? And they say, Oh no, we picked them all. It's just that we ate half of them while we were down there. So um <laughs> Yeah, I remember sitting naked in the bean patch and just eating my body weight in fibrous material as a child. (laughs) Yeah, you know, that's a joyful memory. That's a beautiful thing to give your kids. Yeah. And just recently I said to Minnie, who was really grumpy, um, okay, I've got an idea. Go out and find me 20 coloured autumn leaves. So she came back in with all these different colours and different shapes and we found an old calico bag that I picked up in an op shop years ago around a pair of shoes and she sticky taped them all down all in different spots and then because she was grumpy we sent her out to the shed and she got herself a hammer and she just banged each one of the leaves you know 10 or 20 times all around the edges of the leaf and when she actually takes the leaf off using pulling the sticky tape off it leaves this beautiful shape of this autumn colored leaf on the calico bag so now she's got this bag that she's filled with bark and and sticky tape and scissors and gloves and um, masking tape and goggles and you know toilet rolls all sorts of things that she's now got this sort of foundation bag to use to to send on her way so I can send her out especially at the moment while I'm trying to work and she's uh unschooling herself um <laughs> that's the technical term for a child who refuses to do any work that involves a screen and a teacher on the other end of it um <laughs> So she's great. She just entertains herself by using this little bag as her base and and off she goes and does treasure hunts and, you know, she comes back and she does She fills all our vases for us. So every week as a kid, my job was always to fill the vases at home. And so I've just transferred that little ritual to her because, one, she loves it, and, two, she comes back in and and says, I've picked all these dahlias or I've, I've got some jasmine or rosemary to go with it or some... Lavender, like she's starting to learn her plants as well. It's a beautiful way for her to mm. her to learn her um her different species. Another activity which is really easy and really fun for big or little people is scarecrow making. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, if you've got a really warped sense of humour, hello Katie. Um you... I'll tell you a, sta- a scarecrow story in a minute. <laughs> yeah, well, you know I was going to say, it sort of appeals to everyone. You can make them a bit phallic, you can make them a bit inappropriate, you can make them scary, you can make them friendly, you know, you can kind of portray your own darkest, deepest thoughts into creating this weird thing that you put in the paddock. Tell us I love that. I love that. Oh, it was just a, a wolfing story from down with the wildlings in Tasmania where you went to a bonfire heathen party one evening full moon shindig and everyone was dressed in burlap of course and they had a scarecrow there that they'd made and it was in the the reign of uh that disastrous leader known as tony abbott and so the scarecrow was tony abbott and at the zenith of the evening there was a um, (laughs) they somehow had a um what is it, a a bow and arrow, and they set fire to the end and it was a burning Tony Abbott competition. So whoever could get, I mean, I don't know if that's the precursor to revolt and violence, but it was really fun at the time. So that's my scarecrow experience and I can totally attest to the the allure of a scarecrow even for an adult. Even for grown-ups, yeah. Well, they're they're kind of, they're like these weird, do you remember that show Wurzel Gummidge? You probably don't, you're probably too young. I don't. 
No, I see you are. You're much younger than I am. Charlie and I often talk about words or gummage, but I don't even know if it's a figment of my imagination or if it's a real thing. Anyway. <laughs> What's the reference? Uh, well, he was a scarecrow. Wurzel Gummidge was a scarecrow and he had this beautiful friend called, I think, Dolly or maybe Polly. She was sort of a doll and with these little round cheeks and off they went on adventures all through the paddocks together. It was a very, very early childhood ABC program. Wow. Um, but even, you know, all of these things can take quite a bit of work but there's lots of things that you can do that don't like... You know, I, I often say to my kids, um, especially if we're doing something outside, go, go and find some some beautiful things that represent what the season is right now and you guys can decorate the table for dinner. And, you know, I know people that do that all the time, not just on the odd occasion like we do, but um, it means that sometimes it's covered with autumn leaves and sometimes it's, you know, bristled grasses that are out of the out of the baking hot paddock. Sometimes it's just lovely flowers or flower buds that they've found on a little walk they've been on, whatever it might be, it sort of speaks to the the season that you're in and allows you to give them a sense of place at the table. You know, they can set it oh, for you and you get the job done. And that's so beautiful and creative. Yeah, I love that. Keeps them involved because I think sometimes what happens is as adults we overlay our desire for our kids to be connected to the natural world but we don't actually give them the ability just to sort of free roam free range and kind of do that in their own way in their own time whereas this Mm. if you say you know what the task is there's no one going to score it or compete with you or place judgment over it just go just go for a wander and see what you find and come back and and create something in your own little way Brilliant. Yeah, that was my next question, um, thinking of myself as a kid. And I feel really ashamed of the fact that I was such a petulant brat and hated bushwalks and would (laughs) drag my feet and moan and wail and wonder when we could go home. And I just wanted to be at home drawing or reading or being the consummate nerd. And I just didn't have a sense of connection. I mean, I did in a lot of different ways. But in terms of going out there and exploring in the the wild or the bush or whatever I couldn't think of anything more boring and especially nurseries I would just I would just be totally a nightmare for my for my long-suffering parents and so I'm wondering now especially more than ever when kids are absorbed in their screens and locked in their room and maybe this is a teenager thing more than a little kid thing but for children who don't have the inclination to go out there and marvel at the minutiae of the ma- of the natural world or pick up a leaf and glory in that, what's your approach philosophically to encouraging them without putting pressure on them? Where do you start? I think the place you start is by genuinely loving it yourself because if they can see, remember, um, you know, when we interviewed Taj, she said, everybody says to me that my energy and my fascination and my love of what I do is is a little bit addictive and a little bit, um, what's the word, contagious. Yeah, and it's yes, kind of yeah. true. If you're, if you're the adult that it marvels. Like when I was a kid, my dad, I remember him running in and he used to do this quite often. He'd say, I've got to show you something amazing. He'd never quite know what it was. But when we got out to the place that he dragged us to with the sun on our back and, you know, the smells of the season all around us, he would be marvelling at the size of an apple. And I often talk about this when I'm probably, he'd say, look at this, look at this amazing piece of food that Mother Nature has created. That's been on a tree for seven whole months and it's rained and it's been hot and it's been windy and there's been storms and this little piece of fruit has hung in there 
and now we get to eat it and it's going to be sweet and juicy and do you wonder whether or not the bee that pollinated it is still alive and so we you know if you instill that in kids from a really early age then they can't help but catch that same contagion that same Mm. addiction to that natural world and I think also sort of to my earlier point if you force it upon them just get out there and bloody do it they're not gonna bloody do it because Mm. it's become a chore whereas if you say to them let's just go for a wander and let's just see what that becomes and or if you say to them here's a bag and here's a general task go see where that takes you we we do a um a beautiful ritual every easter where we say to our kids go forage some flora and they with a basket go and go and find whatever they find and actually this year Harry came in and he said at 13 I just pretended to be a little bird and I just wandered around and I found all these things and I picked up a bit of blue string and a little bit of pink string and a little bit of uh, rubber tubing and a bit of wire so he didn't come back with anything out of the garden per se he kind of hung around the machinery shed but he came back and he said I pretended I was a bird and now I'll make my nest and they make these beautiful little nests on the ground and that's where their Easter eggs are placed in their sort of flora nests. And so every year they kind of create different stories and they experience it differently. Mm. So they didn't, there was nothing formulated about it at all. They were just given complete free reign to go and whimsically whip something up in their own little way. And I think that's (laughs) where you start. I think you let them have a long rope on it. How nice. And (laughs) Good. The long rope thing leads me to my next question, which is ever since I read the continuum continuum concept, and I'm not sure if you've read that book. No. So anyway, Untouched Tribe, still doing parenting with this amazing traditional sensibility, keeping their kids attached to their chest all the time, and then letting the kids explore further and further afield of their own volition and understanding where the risks are and the boundaries and having the parents as this kind of pillar of support and strength but they're not helicoptering and they're not hovering and they have a trust in their kids ability to know when something is dangerous mm-hmm. and when you know not to chop their arms and legs off with a magic <laughs> and I'm always wondering how I would go with kids roaming about the place and I think it's different depending on your location in the city in the country and I know your kids I love when I'm there and Bertie and Harry and Minnie too will just be off on their bikes and they're so self-directed and interested in going to the outdoor gym and doing their their workout or playing tennis or just roaming about how do you what's how do you balance worry and knowing that your kids have to live their life and there's always going to be risk involved in that? Yeah, so really, and that's, you know, whoa, we've just opened up a whole big can of Pandora's box. <laughs> you got six minutes. Because of, um, <laughs> because... <laughs> and also we're touching on parenting advice, you know. Man, oh, yeah, I don't shit. want to be one of Sorry. those people that gives parenting advice. <laughs> well, that a disclaimer. Yeah, yeah, the disclaimer is that for me, um, yes. you kind of know your kids too. I think you get to know them really well. We've got a beautiful mum in town and I hope she won't mind me talking about this, but I came across her little boy when he was about five or six and I went to the lake one day on my phone with my kids and there was this little boy in the water up to his nostrils and all I could see were his eyeballs and his little head bobbing. And I said, do I know you? And I mentioned his name and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know you. He came out just far enough to talk to me. And I said, so where's mum? And he said, oh, she's coming. And then I thought, oh, well, maybe actually that man over there is with him. So then I thought, oh, well, 
maybe that's his uncle. I'll just kind of watch. And then I thought his uncle's not taking much notice of him. Then I thought, no, that's definitely not his uncle. Where's your mum? Anyway, she took about 20 minutes to get to us and she said, no, no, he, he knows how to cross roads and he knows how to ride a bike and he knows he can't go in over his head. And, you know, he knows what his limits are and I know really confidently as his parent. So, And I've since driven the kids home from school and found him kilometres out of town in the middle of the road holding up a dead magpie. And when I've pulled over and said, hey, mate, shall I drive you home? Does your mum know where you are? No, because it's dad's on me today, not mum. Mum's at work. Oh, well, do they know where you are? No, but I'll be home in time for dark, which is what I'm like. This is this is kind of how kids used to how they used to live. Yeah, and yeah. her parenting style is a bit a bit contentious now, I'm sure. But she intentionally yeah. moved to a little community because she wanted her, her children to be raised by a village, and she has imminent immense trust in her children's ability to look after themselves. And maybe sometimes that goes mildly pear-shaped like it does with all of us I don't mm. know because you know I've got one I've got a set of identical twins one is the, the well they call themselves a good twin and the bad twin but between them they've got a fairly strong capability to kind of survive I don't know you get to know your kids and I just think the more confidence you can have in them and their ability and you, the more you can boost that the more confidence they end up having in their own mm. and if they can find ways to do that through connecting with the outside world, then I think it stands them in better stead. They're more connected to what's going on around them. They're more connected to their own needs as a as a human being and people's mm. needs around them. I don't know. I think there probably isn't a single answer for that, but you do know your own kids and give them, have a bit of faith in them because it'll build their own faith in themselves. Oh, that's great. I'll apply this to my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky Dave. I never let him out of my sight. And so I love the scarecrow idea. I love the decorative, the table and the seasonal artistic um, creation of this presence and aesthetic. That's just so awesome. And I definitely want to do that. And you said that I'd probably want to do these activities that you've mentioned. Do you have any other (laughs) cool practical ideas, especially maybe now coming into winter? what people can do when they might perceive that it's a bit more home-based and snug. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, yeah. So a really good time to make bee hotels is now because you can make mud pies. You can got, literally just go outside and find a puddle and make <gasps> a bit of yes. mud out of it and that's what you can stuff into your bee hotels. And and don't be afraid of winter. The Maria Montessori's philosophy is that there's no such thing as bad weather, there's just bad dressing. And it's quite true. <laughs> yeah. If you've got enough layers on then you can really, I, I build all my stone walls in winter because you might be getting wet from the rain, but you're not getting hot and flustered and overwhelmed by the heat um, and the flies that are around you. So, you know, winter's a beautiful time to be doing things. And often my kids, while I'm building those rock walls, I've got this vivid memory of it actually snowing and while I'm building rock walls and Minnie was standing right next to me with bare feet and a leotard on dancing around and it just hadn't occurred to her that it was cold my very best friend says to me all the time every time we go anywhere with you I feel compelled to bring an extra three changes of clothing because your children will be underdressed and I say but my children they'll tell me if they're cold and if they are cold and they didn't bring anything then they'll remember next time to bring something Mm. and she says oh I don't know I find you so stressful to go out with because your kids are always undercooked Nah. And now people submerge themselves willingly in ice baths thanks to Wim Hof and we understand the benefits of, yeah, being cold. Yeah, yeah, he's all over it. 
Well, we understand the benefits of just being appropriately dressed for the environment and season that we're in. I think kids, the earlier they start to learn all that, the better they will be placed for, you know, practical life skills. You won't have to say, have you got your card again? <laughs> I certainly don't say that. <laughs> That's what you're Yeah, worried. get out there, big kids, little kids, explore the natural world around you. You don't have to be in a book. You can just be in a, a suburban street. There's still magic to be found. We hope that Shorty provided ample ways to meaningfully engage your little people these school holidays. Come back next Monday for our convo with Sophie Hansen. She's the brains behind the blog Local is Lovely, Rural Woman of the Year 2016, Holistic Deer Farmer, and someone who knows how to get good ideas out there, wrapped in mouth-watering words and visuals. It's definitely worth a listen if you're too interested in how storytelling and online community building can be a powerful instrument of change. Catch you then.